you would take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke chapter 1 as we are walking through this amazing, amazing Gospel. But as we have said that this is a a historical historical documentation of the life of Christ. Luke has given us uh, 24 chapters of investigation and eyewitness accounts of the life, the work, and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And today, in our section today, we'll be in, beginning in verse 26, we're going to see the, the second encounter with Gabriel. Where over the last couple of weeks we've looked at Gabriel who, who came and delivered a message to Zechariah and to his wife Elizabeth. And we kind of saw that played out in looking at their life and the message of the promised prophet. But today we will see that Gabriel comes to deliver a second announcement, a second birth announcement, if you will. It is the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And in this, he summarizes four things that I want you to see concerning Christ, concerning the promised Savior. And, and so th- those four things is you're going to see the Savior's humanity, the Savior's work, the Savior's deity, and the Savior's reign or the Savior's rule. But because there's so much here, we're going to split this up. And so this week, I, as I was working through this, I was, I was looking, we're going to see this morning the Savior's humanity and the Savior's work. And, and just having to split this up into two parts here. And in the providence of God this morning, as Brother Trey and the choir and everyone has been leading, as we've just sang these songs, it's amazing to me that we have just sang about the humanity of Christ who leaves heaven, who comes to give his all that we may have salvation in him. And man, and already we're seeing it. You saw that in the last several songs. And so this morning we're going to look at the Savior's humanity and the Savior's work of the promised Savior. And so if you will, let's begin in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. We'll just stop there this morning. Notice first here, I want to just begin with the Savior's humanity this morning. Here we have Gabriel who comes with this second encounter here. Isn't it amazing that we're able to get this? Isn't it amazing that one as such as Luke, as we have talked about, that Luke is this guy who checks the facts, you're right? He wasn't an eye, a person who I, you know, was an eyewitness of these things, but Luke goes back and he talks to these individuals, he gets interviews with these individuals, and so we are, we're getting this from his work. And so what we see here is, is that we, we come and we learn a little bit about Mary here. There's not much given, but he does describe this encounter, and he does give us a little about Mary. We figure out that her residence is there in Nazareth of Galilee, She's engaged to Joseph. We meet him over in uh, Matthew's gospel. 
But then we see that she found favor with God. And so this has caused some problems over, over the, the centuries with the fact that many believe that Mary is somehow able to bestow grace upon people because she's a little more special than other people. Certainly there is um, a, a lot of grace given to her that she is the mother but there are those who would even take it so far that Mary is one that is to be honored and worshipped even in church. Uh, this word favor, you need to understand, comes from the Greek word charis, which is where we get the word charity. It is where we get the word grace. And if you know the definition of grace, grace is the unmerited favor of God. Mary did not earn this favor. Grace is defined as receiving that which we do not deserve. And so it is clear that when he comes and he says that she has found favor with God, that she has found favor with him, though she did not earn it. Luke makes that very clear in the wording that is given, or Gabriel does. And so Mary does not earn her status with God. Her role in redemption is one of an outpouring of God's unmerited favor upon her, his grace. But where I really want us to focus this morning is there in verse 31. Because here we begin to see this promise of a Savior. So notice what he says. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Now, in a couple of weeks, we will take a deeper look into the miracle of the virgin birth. But for now, I want to focus on what this means. Because here we know that all of us know that Christ is the Son of God. And so here we're seeing now that the, the Son of God is leaving heaven and he is coming to earth. And he's not just going to appear. He's not just going to be like the angels who just appear, <coughs> excuse me, who just appears. He is coming to go through the birth process. And so what we have here, beloved brothers and sisters, is a doctrinal truth that I think sometimes we miss out on. Or, or may, we may understand it and we may believe it and grasp it, but we don't really truly understand the significance of this. And this is the humanity of the Savior. A truth that, that, that sometimes that, that if we, we just kind of grab a hold of, but we don't take a deeper look. What we're seeing here is, and what Gabriel is saying, is that Jesus will experience nine months in the womb of a woman. The Son of God who sits on the throne, who sits at the right hand of the Father, who was very much, who was there in the time of creation. It is by Him and through His power that the world comes into being. We know this. We know that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. And yet here the Word will now enter into the womb of a young woman for nine months and go through the process of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual growth. And then He will be adopted by Joseph and raised by His mother Mary and Joseph. And they will even live in a small town of Galilee, uh, in Nazareth of Galilee. How much more human can you get? The New Testament is very clear on who Christ is. On his deity. In which we will also take a greater look. That he is divine. That he has no beginning. That he has no end. That he is eternal. That he has the same divine attributes of the Father. That he is the exact image, according to Paul in Colossians chapter 1, of God the Father. And yet we find here... God entering into the world through the process of human birth. And in no way does it remove his deity. Christ will be 100% divine. He will be 100% God. He will be 100% human. Something that you and I cannot explain nor ever truly grasp. We call this here within the, 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 the church world, the scholar world, we call this the incarnation of Christ. The, the incarnation, that word means in Latin, that, that in the flesh 
It means he's in the flesh. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, will, will take on physical form, physical flesh and blood. And he will become one of us. We not love on Christmas when we read Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What? God what? God with us. He's not only with us present, but he is with us because he is what? He is one of us. And then we read in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word that was in the beginning with God, the word that was was God, Verse 14 of John chapter 1, the Word became flesh. We see here that Jesus takes on humanity, and with that, He will take on another title. One that was prophesied in the book of Daniel, one that is used 26 times throughout the Gospel of Luke. It is the title, the Son of Man. The Son of God also becomes the Son of Man. It, it is a term that Luke will use over and over and over again. Why? Because Luke wants you to know uh, beyond all shadows of doubt. Remember the issue of certainty. I write this that you may know the exact truth. Verse 4, chapter 1. That you may know the exact truth concerning the things of what God has accomplished. That Jesus Christ was a man. He was human. Just like you. Just like me. Luke 2, 7. He was born of a real woman. We're going to see that birth as we get into chapter 2. Luke chapter, chapter 2, verse 52, he developed like a human. He went from a, a little baby, a newborn baby. He, he, he went from, from being that place there in the womb and going through the whole process, being born, <coughs> and then going from a newborn baby to growing into a, a, a toddler, and then to a teenager, and then into the, his adult life. We, we see in Matthew chapter 4 that he became hungry. And we see in John chapter 19 that he was thirsty. We see in Mark chapter 4 verse 38 that Jesus was exhausted from a long day of work, a long day of preaching and ministry, and that he needed some sleep. We, we see all of these things of Christ throughout. And if you really, really want to get down to the humanity of Christ, brothers and sisters, Luke chapter 23, we see that Jesus Christ will die like a human. There, there is no denying this. There is, there, there is no way to get around this. The Savior of the world, the Savior that is being promised to Mary to come in, is going to be a man. And you say, why is this really important? Why, what is the purpose of His humanity? And this is one where I want to bring in another theological truth, another theological um, uh, uh, term that you may not hear quite often, and you may scratch your head at, but, but, but the answer to this, of what is the purpose of His humanity, is what we call the condescension of Christ. The condescension of Christ. Now you may hear that, and you may say, that, that doesn't sound very good. We look at that term as a bad thing, you're being condescending, or you're picking on someone, or whatever. But according to the dictionary... Webster's, dictionary.com, all that. Condescension means to descend from a higher level. You descend to the level of one considered inferior. You lower yourself. You come down to their level. Now, again, while we typically think of condescension in a negative way, here what we find is that that word describes an inclusive quality, exclusive quality of our Savior. It is describing to you and I a wonderful blessing of Jesus Christ. I want to read something to you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. We're going to be in several different places today, but I want you to hear this. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. 
He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied, he lowered, he condescended himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, now we'll get to this in just a moment, but, but, but I want to keep reading. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him, notice this, the name which is above every name, so that, a name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and those who are in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Or how about 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9? For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. But notice, so that in your poverty you might become rich. He condescends him, he lowers himself. So God, the Son, lowered himself to the level of inferior creatures such as, human, uh, such as humans like us. Luke verse 131 shows us the process by which that is coming. Gabriel is coming and he is saying this is going to take place where the God of heaven is going to come down and go through the birth process. Why? That because he becomes human, he becomes a man. God the Son will place himself on our level under the law of God. And he will keep the law perfectly as we will see through all of the Gospel of Luke. And then when he himself is innocent of no wrongdoing, he will lay his life down as a sacrifice for sinners like you and me. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. Brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. The condescension of Christ, the condescension of Jesus, is him placing himself under the law of God so that he may be able to remove its punishment and judgment from us. That where you and I failed to keep the law of God, he kept it perfectly. And he then becomes the perfect sacrifice for sins. There was no animal that can do this. There was nothing in all of the creation. There was no person that could ever be the sacrifice. We saw it this morning in the Sunday school lesson, didn't we? Isn't it amazing how God works all this out? Isn't it amazing that here we are, we're talking about Christ who keeps the law perfectly, how Christ becomes the perfect sacrifice. When we saw this morning that Isaac was not a perfect sacrifice, he couldn't be a perfect sacrifice. Why? Because Isaac was a sinner. But Christ leaves heaven, goes through all the experiences of mankind, takes on flesh, obeys the law perfectly, and he becomes a sacrifice. And I think C.S. Lewis says it best. In chapter 14 of C.S. Lewis's book on miracles, he writes this. He says, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. Christ comes down from the heights of absolute being into time and space down into humanity. He comes down to the very roots and the seabed of nature that he has created. He goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world with him. Like a man who goes underneath a burden only to straighten his back and pick the burden up and carry it off. 
One may, one may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness and then glancing in midair. He is then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through the green, warm water into black, cold water, down through the increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, and then back up again, back to the color, back to the light. He breaks forth through the surface, and there in his hand, he holds in his hand, dripping and precious, the treasure that he went down to recover. Brothers and sisters, when Gabriel comes to Mary, he comes to give her a promise, an announcement that the Son of God is about to leave heaven and his throne. And Mary, he's going to come and he's going to enter into your womb and he's going to become one of us. Why? So that he may save us. That he may lift us up. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Things as yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Brothers and sisters, when we look at the humanity of Christ, we are reminded that Christ came and became one of us so that he may lift us out of all of the junk that we ourselves are in. And some of you this morning would say, Brother Brian, I am in some junk, right? Some of you would probably say this morning that you are experiencing sufferings, and that you're experiencing heartaches. There, there are those of you who would say that I am, that Brother Brian, I am struggling. There are times where I want to give up. There are times where I'm, where that may be spiritual or financial or physical. There are things that you are dealing with in this world. There are sufferings and heartaches and these difficulties. Well, know this, that the God of heaven came down and he suffered the God of heaven came down and he knows your suffering. He knows your heartache. He knows your difficulty. Not because he's sitting on heaven and he's just watching. Yes, he does that. But because he himself took on flesh and experienced the suffering of humanity. He experienced the pain and the exhaustion from having little sleep. He experienced poverty. When he didn't have enough money to buy things to, to eat and he had to rely on the Lord. He experienced the, the pain of thirst and hunger. He experienced the pain of, of ridicule from those who didn't love him and those who persecuted him. He experienced the pain of rejection from those who loved him even the most. And yes, he experienced even death. Brother and sister Christ came and he experienced all of these sufferings. And in these sufferings, he persevered and he overcame and he triumphed. And you may think that in and of your own self and in and of your own strength that you can triumph and persevere because of you and how good you are. You are mistaken this morning, brothers and sisters. No, we persevere and we overcome because he himself overcame the world. He literally overcame. And so some of you who are suffering, you need to call out this morning. You need to call out to Christ. You need to quit trying to do it in your own works and you need to call out to the Savior this morning if you are suffering and you need to draw on His strength that you yourself may persevere in your own sufferings. And some of you are experiencing temptations. You are tempted to sin. Sin is <coughs> knocking at your door. In your mind, you are yearning to lust. In your heart, you are teetering on bitterness and anger toward others. In your soul, you are fearful 
of all that is going on in the world and you are scared at night. You feel as though the devil himself has come to you and he is tempting you. And you say, how in the world will I ever overcome and be faithful unto the God? Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ became flesh and was tempted in all of these ways. And yes, even by the devil himself. And Christ overcame all temptations. Christ overcame all went under that he may pick you up, that you may overcome your temptations. Do not look to yourselves this morning, but look to Christ. And please hear me, don't look to Christ as an example. Yes, his example is great. Don't look at him and go, he's a great example. No, no. Go to Christ in prayer and call upon him and say, by your power and your strength that you overcame, that I may overcome my sins. Oh, brothers and sisters, cry out to him who knows your trials and who can lift you up. And I would even say this. Some of you are past temptation. And some of you are in sin. And some of you are feeling the shame and the guilt of your sin. You are feeling the consequences of your sin. And you are wondering, is there any hope for me? You feel the weight of your mistakes and your failures that it has brought to you and to your family to your household, to your place of business, whatever it may be, and you are wondering, is there any hope in this life for me now? May I say to you, go to Christ? You may say, Brother Brian, you don't know this sin. You don't know what I have done. But He does. And I don't mean that as a cliche. Think with me on this. The sin that you are dealing with, the sin that has overcome you, the sin that you are feeling the guilt and the shame and the weight of, the the addiction, the, the sin that will never leave you. He felt that sin. I'm not, I'm not, he specifically felt that sin because Christ took your sins to the cross. Christ went and bore your sins. And so when we say, God, you don't know what I'm dealing with, brothers and sisters, he knows it because he understood it. He felt the the burden of your sin on the cross of Calvary, that he who was God became human, that he may become sin on our behalf. And not just sin as in general terms, but he may become that sin and deal with your sin at the cross. Christ knows your sin this morning. died that sin killed him but three days later he rose and he brings victory to that sin that you are dealing with right now brothers and sisters you only need to go to christ this morning beloved run to christ run to him because he who is the son of god became the son of man that he may descend that he may reascend, not only that he would be exalted, but that he would then lift us up out of our sin. Which leads me to the next thing. Notice his work. Notice that the text says, and you shall name him Jesus. So we see here that, he, that, that Christ is going to come and he's going to be born of a woman. And he says, and Mary, when he's born, you're going to give him the name Jesus. The Hebrew pronounced this Yeshua is a combination of Yah for Yahweh. You see that in the book of Exodus. And Yasha meaning rescue or to save. Now any average reader of the Bible knows that when you, that names are packed with symbolic meaning. We see that, we saw that with Abraham as we've been studying that in the Sunday school. 
And so we know that this name, it must be significant. It must be, it must be packed with meaning. And you say, well, well why is, what does it have? Well, the, 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 uh, the translation of the Hebrew is into Joshua. The translation from the Hebrew to the Greek to the English, I'm sorry, from, in English from Hebrew is Joshua. And then the Greek is into Jesus. And so what's interesting about this is, is that we know that Joshua had a mission. What was the mission of Joshua? God saves. He was to save. He was to bring those people. They, Moses then brought them out of, out, of, out of Egypt. But Joshua led them into the promised land where he would defeat their enemies and have victory over, the, over them. But in the New Testament, Jesus' mission is to lead his people not over the physical enemies of this world, but over the victory over sin and death. There can be no more name more symbolic than the name Jesus because it means Yahweh saves. Matthew 1, 21. The angel says to Joseph, he says, you will call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, which probably summarizes the entire gospel. Jesus himself, as he goes to the house of Zacchaeus, he says, Zacchaeus, come down. And those who, were, who knew Zacchaeus knew that he was an evil tax collector who took money from the people. They knew that he was a wretch. They knew, as the, as the text tells us, that he is a sinner. And Jesus there in verse 10 of chapter 19 says, the Son of Man. Don't, don't miss that. The Son of Man, the one who leaves heaven and takes on human form, human flesh, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Gabriel told us that from the beginning. Gabriel was very clear to Mary on what Jesus will do. He was very clear to Joseph on what Christ's mission will be. He has come to save sinners. But here's the problem, brothers and sisters, is that we like to twist the mission of Christ. Here's the problem with this, is that we want to make the mission of Christ about everything else other than save people from their sins because we know people are okay, right? We know people are good and that's not their real problem. They, they have other things. So, so what do we do? We preach, we, we preach these false messages of prosperity that, that, that if you'll place your faith in Jesus, oh, you'll find health and wealth and fame and, and all of this, that you'll prosper in life. And now we see this whole new thing of the social justice that, that really why Jesus came, that the real truth of the gospel is not to save people from sinners, but to save people out of their oppression, to save people out of their, their hardships, and raise them up or political it's really about our nation really it's really about israel this is what this is all really about that jesus came that israel's his people and we need to love israel and, and then america we got to get america right it's got to be this and conservative and so that's really if we use jesus we can get there or self-help you know, we just got a lot of people who are really down on themselves, and we need to make them feel good about themselves, and so we need to tolerate all these things. Or, or maybe cultural unity and tolerance, that really we just use Jesus' teachings and his example on how we all get along. Brothers and sisters, that's not the mission and the work of Christ. How do I know? Because that's not his name. That's not his name. His name is packed with meaning and significance that tells me why he descends into our time, why he becomes one of us. 
Who is he? What does his name say? But God saves. Who is Christ? But God. And so therefore Christ, who is God, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That is the gospel. And that is the message that we preach. But here's the, another interesting question that I think we must raise this morning. Who or what is lost? According again to Luke chapter 19, Jesus goes to the house of Zacchaeus, a man who is deemed a sinner by all. He is someone who lives in opposition to God's divine will. He is someone who trespassed the law of God. He is one who, who has stolen from others. He is one who is just seen as a low life, and he is, he is just under the judgment of God, cursed by God in the eyes of the Jews. Does this not describe all of us? Is this, is this not Romans 3.23, that for all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and we are all under the judgment of God? Is this not describe us who have fallen and, and failed and not brought pleasure to God? Is this not us who have stolen or us who have, who have lusted or even maybe physically committed adultery or us who, have, who may not have murdered, but as Christ says, that if you have anger and bitterness in your heart, Therefore, he, he considers it murder. Are, are we not people who break our vows? Are we not people who have sinned against a holy and righteous God? Are we not Zacchaeus? So the question of, so Gabriel, who has he come to save? If this is God is coming to save, who is he coming to save? And the answer to the question is, is God has come to save you. God has come to save us. God has come to save me. Mary, God has come to save you, Mary. Even you. Christ, the Son of God, lowers Himself. The Son of God takes on the role and the title Son of Man. That He may offer His perfect obedience to the sinful disobedient. That they may be saved. John chapter 8 verse 24 tells us, As therefore I said to you, that you will die in your sins. For unless that you believe I am He, you will die in your sins. Brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. Your sin literally will be the death of you. And if you continue to live in your sins and you continue to run from God and you continue to disbelieve God, you continue to continue in your sins, you will die in your sins. But I have good news for you this morning. Christ has come to save you. His mission is to save you. For some of us, it may feel that it is our past that we are running from. It may be that my past is full of drugs and violence and crime. My past is full of broken relationships. My past is full of really, really bad sins. And you've tried to do better. And you've done everything that you can. You've tried in your own works. And you, but you have found that you cannot, you can't fix it. You can't run away from it enough. You can't do enough. And you ask yourself, how can I be saved? He came for you. He leaves heaven and He comes for you to save you. Maybe, maybe your sin is not in the past. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're really kind of one of those people who really has, most of the world has looked at you and said, you're a really good person, but you have never, you've just lived in unbelief. Maybe you haven't done a whole lot of big sins, but you live in unbelief. And by the way, that is the greatest of all sins. Christ has come that you may be saved. That you may be saved today. 
Well, maybe the fact is, is that maybe you're someone who is dealing with present day things and you are living in addiction right here and right now and your broken marriage and broken family and you are feeling completely lost and completely without hope and you're just wondering how in the world, where do I find hope today? He came to save you. Or maybe you're one of those religious people and you've been religious your whole life. If the Gospels teach us anything, religious people can be lost too. And so you've lived your whole life doing religious works and religious things, but you have never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You have based your salvation, you have based your hope on your religious works and those things, and you're realizing it today. You realize, maybe you're under conviction and you're just going, man, I've been going to church for however long. How can I be saved? Because I've been living a lie. I'm here to tell you today the good news of Jesus Christ. He left heaven to save you, even the religious liars. Is there hope for any of us today? Yes. There is hope. How do you know, bride? Because the name of Christ literally means God saves. You can come this morning and be saved, brothers and sisters. You can come and know Christ as Lord and Savior. Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved with the heart of a person who believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. But may I also say this. Let this not, church, don't forget this, and this is extremely important. May we never forget that not only can Christ save you and those in this room, Christ can save all sinners. There are these times where we honestly begin to believe that there are people who are just beyond the salvation of the Lord. We begin to look at the foreign enemies. We begin to look at Muslims and the things that are going around the world, and we think God would never save those people. Those people are just horrible. Brothers and sisters, he came to save sinners. We look at our political opponents. We look at people who have hurt us. We look at people that, that have disappointed us. Do not forget that he can save them. So what does this mean for the Christian today? Maybe this morning you are not someone who is in need of saving. Maybe this morning you are a, 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 a genuine Christian who has come to know the salvation of Christ. And you're asking the question, then what does this mean for me? Brothers and sisters, this means that we preach the name of Christ and no other name. There is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved, and it is Jesus Christ. We tell the sinful family member their hope is in Christ. We tell the Muslim their hope is in Christ. We tell whatever opponent or whatever enemy that we have in this world that their hope is in Christ. We tell the ones who have rebelled against us, our rebellious children, our rebellious grandchildren. We tell our, 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 our broken, maybe our divorced spouses or whatever. We tell those who have hurt us at the most and broken our heart that their only hope in this world is in Christ. And I would warn you, church, I would warn you that you not mispronounce the name of Christ. You don't like it when people mispronounce your name. You don't like it when people get your name wrong. What do I mean by that? What I mean that is don't put salvation under anything else. Don't tell people that, that, when, that if you just come to church and be good, you'll, you'll be saved. In other words, don't preach another gospel. Don't preach that salvation through religious works. And some of us have done that, haven't we? 
I think honestly that many of us as Christians, we need to repent because what we have told people is if that they would just come to church, then everything will be fine. We, we see that, that we want them in church so they'll hear the gospel. But we just tell them that if they'll just come, that everything will be fine. Or we tell them that they need to have good works, they need to be good people. You just need to start behaving correctly. It's not social justice. It's not politics. And it most certainly is not prosperity. None of these are written in the name of Jesus Christ. And to preach a gospel that says that salvation would come by any of these things is to get the name of Jesus wrong. And in doing so, you get the mission of Christ wrong. Who is he? You will name him Jesus. And he will be the son of man who has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Why is this so amazing? I close with this. Again, Philippians. Because Christ condescended himself and came down. He says in verse 9, For this reason also God exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory <coughs> to the glory of God the Father. Oh brothers and sisters, when Gabriel came on that night to Mary, he gave her a promise of a God who became human would descend that he may bring us out of our sins out of our judgment out of our suffering so that we on the day of judgment on the day that we stand before christ when we bow and when we we will bow in worship of the greatest name ever the name of jesus christ i pray you know that name let's pray father we come to you this morning Lord, so thankful for your grace and your mercy. Lord, you are such a good God. <coughs> Lord,